0: It must be fun to walk into the office the next day and say, you remember that time I said we should invest in a company and now it's worth $1.3 billion just to us? I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill, patio,
1: sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time.
2: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Emergence Capital has had some huge successes lately. The biggest, it's early investment in Zoom. You can tune to our interview with Emergence's Santi Subatovsky to hear more about that. Emergence just announced two new funds. A traditional fund of $575 million and then a second fund, a follow-on fund with $375 million. The follow-on fund does just what it sounds like. It lets Emergence double or triple down on previous investments. And my question for Kevin Spain was, hold on, you weren't already doing that? Now, you know, pardon my naivete, but this is the first time you've had a fund for follow-on rounds. Why? I mean, it would seem if you find a company like Zoom, like Doximity, and you think, hey, this is a great company, you didn't have money to give it more money? <laughs> well, we, we definitely, I, w- I would start by saying, Scott, we absolutely do
3: participate in follow-on financings, in all of the companies that we uh, we originally engaged with at the Series A, which is the primary point at which we first start working with a business, um, but you know what we found is that in selected cases, uh, when a company is performing extremely well um, and it gets further along in its life as a private company, you know these businesses increasingly are raising uh, larger, later-stage private financings. Uh, private rounds, and in those cases, just given our our fund size, if we wanted to do something more significant in the later stages of a company's life, um, we haven't historically had the capital available uh, to participate in those rounds in a meaningful way. You know, in our main fund, in our core fund, we need to have a certain amount of portfolio diversification. We want to have a certain number of companies in that fund, and so we want to manage the amount of capital, right? That we actually invest in any one company so that we can get to that level of diversification.
0: So the reason just to, to so I understand what you're saying is the reason you don't double down, so to speak, out of the main fund is, is number one, making sure that the main fund is diverse. Uh, and, and number two, I would imagine you've made some promises to the LPs as far as what you're going to use that fund for. And if you just took the entire fund and said, you know what? we're putting it all on red, uh, they would probably not be very happy with you, even if it paid off. I think
3: that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, our LPs look to us to effectively manage uh, their capital, right? And part of, I think, being an effective allocator of capital is having a strategy around uh, around diversification, right, fundamentally. Uh, so I think our LPs definitely look to us to to do that and to ensure that, you know, we've got... You know what they would view as as an appropriate number of companies in each fund, um, rather than just sort of you know putting it all on one or, or maybe a couple of businesses.
0: And so, with the follow-on fund, you th- this is something that people know. You no, know, this is money set aside to double down. That's correct.
3: That's correct. And and you know again, we'll we'll use it in selective cases, right? I mean, this is uh, this is the type of thing that we would deploy, you know, in those businesses that are you know further along. Uh, that are definitely, you know, uh, sort of sort of breaking out is sort of how I would think about it. And uh, we've definitely had those opportunities. We've seen those opportunities before. And you know, going forward, we just want to make sure that we have the capital available to take advantage of those when they come up.
0: Give me an example of something that you've you've funded more than once, in which you were glad you had the money to, to be able to do it.
3: Zoom is a company, I think you know, that you know, we 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 are involved with, we continue to be investors there. Um, there was actually a case in, in in the situation with Zoom later in their life where there was a later stage round, right, that they put together, uh, and we wanted to participate in a meaningful way for obvious reasons. I mean, the company was performing extremely well. You know, in that case, we actually went out and we raised a uh, an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, just for uh, participating in that financing right? So that was a a very unique case. We didn't do that out of the main fund. We did that out of a separate vehicle that we raised just for that purpose. And uh, that obviously turned out incredibly well. And I think that was one of the things that convinced us that having capital at the ready, right, to actually invest in those opportunities would be a smart thing.
0: And we're seeing a lot of companies that do need further financing because they're waiting so much longer uh, to go public. Uh, Doximity is a is a good one. It's kind of a LinkedIn for doctors. Uh, you funded it in what twenty twelve. It only went public very, very recently.
3: That's right. Well, we yeah, I think it was actually it was twenty eleven, right, where we first invested in the business. We uh, we were fortunate to play a meaningful role uh, in their Series A. Um, and yes, exactly, the company just went public uh, about a month ago.
0: Please welcome Doximity to highlight their IPO. To honor the occasion, co-founder and CEO, Jeff Tangney is ringing the opening bell of the New York Stock Exchange.
3: You know, that was an interesting one in that, you know, the, the company went on to raise a Series B and then a Series C, but the last time they raised capital was actually in 2014, right? So 2014 was when they raised their Series C and they didn't need to raise capital after that point. You know they, they burned very little capital on their way to ultimately becoming a public company. So you don't see that happening very often. You know, I think their decision to wait to become a public company was really you know, predicated on you know, wanting to wait until they had you know, the right level of scale. And they felt very confident around their, their ability to predict you know, quarterly uh, numbers. Um, and they were very deliberate about that process. Um, but again, that's a rarity, you know, it's a rarity for a company to go that long without needing to raise more capital.
0: What is that like as an investor? I mean, obviously Doximity paid off well for you and we'll get to that in a second, but when a company has no exit, you know, they're, they're not purchased by another company. They don't go public for, you know, for 10 years. Is, is that frustrating as an investor saying, Hey, you know, at some point we'd like our money back.
3: Well, I mean, look, I think as investors, we're always thinking about, um, you know, returns, right? We need to be thinking about returns. But one of the things that I think we have learned uh, as investors uh, in companies, you know, frankly, like, you know, Doximity and Zoom and Viva and others where, where we've been involved from the early stages and these companies have gone on to become public companies is that, you know, the best businesses in most cases take a decade or more uh, to build to to scale, and then honestly, the best businesses continue to go on after that point uh, to scale even further, right, and create even more value. And so, we're not in a rush. You know, our view is is a long view. You know, one of our values as a firm that we like to talk about is we we all win big in the long run, right? We take a fundamentally long term view of how businesses are built and of how value is created. And we feel very lucky to have limited partners, investors in our fund that are inc- incredibly aligned uh, with that perspective. So we're not getting any pressure from our investors uh, to find a near-term, short-term exit. Um, they trust us to make the right long-term decision, knowing that, you know as we do, many of the best businesses take a decade or more to build. And if you can be patient, uh, the rewards can be absolutely spectacular.
1: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: With Doximity, you were the person who invested Emergences' money in that company. This is before you're a partner. This company had no paying customers. It wasn't that up and to the right sort of chart that you would expect to see. Uh, were you a bit nervous at the time? I mean, it was... It it didn't seem at the time like maybe the the best investment, at least on paper.
3: Well, you know, I think, um, you know, Series A companies come in all shapes and sizes, right? I mean, sometimes Series A businesses have uh, a decent amount of traction, right? A decent amount of revenue. Uh, And sometimes, um, you know, we get excited about them for different reasons. Um, I think in the case of Doximity, you know, what got us incredibly excited about the business was a couple of things. One, uh, the healthcare industry obviously is big. uh, And I think as a lot of folks in Silicon Valley know, is is kind of inefficient right, in a lot of ways and and can benefit from more and better technology. So what we saw in part from a market perspective was a large market in need of better technology to get work done. Um, The other thing that got us really excited about the company uh, was the founding team, right? Um, you know Jeff Tangney, who is the CEO of the company and one of the founders, um, had previously co-founded a company called Hippocrates, uh, which was a an early uh, mobile app for physicians that helped them identify, you know, various uh, drug interactions and uh, and this, and things of that sort. Uh, that went on to become a public company as well. And his co-founders, Sherry Buck and Nate Gross, also had you know a lot of very very relevant experience. Uh, in and around healthcare. So we had a team that um, had previously seen success, right? Building a business. They knew the industry they were going after. And we saw a very large market opportunity. So you combine those things together. That's rare, right? Just to start with. And then you combine that with what was early traction. It was very early traction, but there was some evidence that the product they were building was resonating with users. Um, that got us very excited. So even though they didn't have any revenue at that point, we saw enough of the ingredients there uh, to sort of get us excited about about playing a role. Uh, But you're right. I think for me, I was not a partner, right, in the firm at at the time. Um, I'll tell you a really funny story about that, um, which is, um, you know, uh, Jeff, who is, as I mentioned, the CEO of Doximity, um, he had decided, I think, that he wanted to work with me and work with us He was, I think, a little nervous about the fact that I wasn't a partner. You know, he wasn't sure if I was ultimately going to make it there and if I was going to be around. And so he called my partner, Gordon, in this process and asked him the question, you know, is Kevin going to make it? And Gordon told him confidentially uh, that the founders of the firm had already made the decision that I was going to be promoted to partner in a very short period of time. So Jeff actually knew before I did that I was (laughs) going to be promoted to partner, which was pretty funny.
0: Yes, it is. If somebody came to you now, as you're a partner, and said, "Hey, you know, I got a line on a on a slow growth software company in a kind of limited market that'll probably take ten years to to go public," you'd you'd probably invest again, right? Because it's based on the team and their and and their success.
3: Well, I think it's based on the team. It is based on the market. I mean, it's you know, healthcare is not, it, it's not a limited market. It's a huge market. I mean, it's somewhere
0: Well, there are only so many
3: doctors for doc- there's there's only many, so many doctors, guys. but it's 20% of GDP. Right. And it's a, it's a big segment of the economy. And no, absolutely. I think, it, I think that's absolutely true. I think, you know um, we, we do pay a lot of attention to the amount of conviction that a partner brings when they're bringing a company to us right in the firm. And so, I know that I was really passionate about Doximity for all the reasons that I mentioned. I know that that carried a lot of weight, you know, with my partners at the time uh, and, and convinced them to be willing to take a bit of a chance.
0: And at the IPO Emergence's stake in Doximity was $1.3 billion. Have I got that right? I
3: think that's pretty close.
0: <laughs> that must be fun to walk into the office the next day and say, remember that time I said we should invest in a company and now it's worth $1.3 billion just to us?
3: Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. It is. It is really, really rewarding. And you know, one thing that I would say that I think is is also interesting and unique, just on this point, Scott, is you know, a one point three billion dollar uh, return. And by the way, you know, we we've not sold any of our position, right? So we're we're still you know still believers that there's more value to be created here. Um, but even one point three billion is really really meaningful uh, to Emergence because we don't raise big funds, right? So to give you some perspective. The fund that we invested in Doximity from is a $200 million fund, right? It's a $200 million fund. Now you compare that to funds that are being raised these days by a number of firms, you know, billion plus dollar funds, in many cases, multiple billion dollar funds, um, you know, $1.3 billion, you know, uh, return would still be very meaningful, but not nearly as meaningful as it is to us. And this has always been part of our approach. You know, we really believe that, you know, having smaller funds, investing in a smaller number of companies, investing with a tremendous amount of conviction, pouring all of our energy, right, into helping these companies scale and grow, um, that that's a winning formula. Um, And it is decidedly different in many ways from what a lot of other firms are doing today. As fund sizes are growing, you know, they're investing in more companies. They have less time to spend, I think, with each of the companies that they back. And that can work too, don't get me wrong. But you can see in this particular case how much of a difference it makes when you have an exit like this and you're actually able to do it out of a smaller fund.
0: You got Doximity, uh, you mentioned Zoom earlier, which obviously uh, uh, paid off very well for Emergence, Emergence uh, a very early investor. It, it must be when you sit around the, the table there at the office, uh, a certain level of smugness, but also I would imagine that you all have to caution each other hey, we've, you know, we've been hitting grand slam after grand slam. We, we ought not get cocky about this. We ought to stick to our principles. Yeah, well, I think,
3: I think that's true. I think, um, you know, venture is a business where um, you're always striving to find, you know, the next great company, right, to, to, to back, right, to partner with. And uh, that never stops, right? Um, we, we get very excited and we're very delighted when a company we work with has uh, a great outcome, you know, like a Doximity or a Zoom or a Bill.com or Aviva or others. Um, but we also know that for us to do our jobs well and to, to do the work that our LPs want us to do, we have to continue to do that, right? So we have to wake up every single day you know, looking for the next Doximity, the next Zoom, the next Bill.com, And, uh, and that gets us excited. Um, So I think for us, you know, one of the things I've always really appreciated about our firm and our culture is that, um, you know, we know that we need to keep striving, right. And working really, really hard uh, in order to stay relevant, right. In this incredibly competitive market that we're in. So, you know, I've been with the firm now for 15 years. uh, So since the very, very early days, and if anything, I have just seen the hunger that we have to succeed continue to grow, right, in many ways. I think, you know, the more we achieve, the more I think the bar rises <laughs> for us in terms of what we want to achieve. And uh, so I don't see any signs at all of that changing.
0: What sort of things out there do excite you? What is the the next step for, for investment?
3: Yeah, well, so first, you know, what I would say is, you know, we're, we're 100% focused on B2B technology companies. We always have been. And so that's our purview, right? Everything that we think about uh, is within this sort of B2B world, which, by the way, is a very big world, right? So by our measure, there's about $450 billion a year spent by companies around the world on software, right? Some of that software is software they buy from third parties. Some of that software is still software that they develop internally, although an increasingly small part of that. But it's a lot, it's a lot of spend. And an increasingly large piece of that uh, is being uh, spent uh, on and is going toward smaller companies that are building really, really innovative solutions. So we're playing in a really big sandbox where there's lots of new opportunity that's emerging every year. Um, We also, within B2B, we've got a thematic way that we think about the really interesting next areas of opportunity. Um, and so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about those major themes that we're, we're investing against today. These aren't the only areas where we invest, but they're areas where we spend a lot of time. Um, the first one is uh, what we call the deskless workforce. So um, this is the idea, this is behind the idea that there's about 80% of the global workforce by our estimates that does not sit at a desk to do their jobs, right? So these are not information workers. These are often called frontline workers. They're working in industries like healthcare or manufacturing or construction. And historically, they have had little to no software uh, to actually do their jobs effectively. Very, very different than the world that you and I live in. Um, But now that you've got smartphones and you've got tablets and other types of mobile devices, you can now build great software for them for the first time. So to us, we see that as one of the biggest greenfield areas of opportunity um, in the B two B world, when you think about eighty percent of the workforce not ever having had great software, and now you can put it in their hands for the first time, that's a that's a really big game changer. And I think Doximity is actually a great example of a company uh, building software for folks who are on their feet all the time and doing it on mobile devices. Uh, couldn't really do that as easily, uh, you know, uh, ten plus years ago. Um, the second area, second thematic area that we think a lot about. Is what we call industry cloud. So, industry focused um, SaaS applications. Um, and a great example of this would be Viva, right? So, Viva building software for the life sciences industry. Um, one of the great things that we've seen is that when you focus on an industry, you know that industry cold, everything you build is tailored to that industry to a T, you can get incredible adoption, incredibly capital efficiently much more so often than a company that sells across a lot of industries. And there are lots and lots of really big industries out there uh, that have yet to have really great software built just for them. It's kind of surprising, you wouldn't imagine that in this day and age, but there are still lots of opportunity when it comes to industry cloud. And then the third area, uh, third theme that we're spending a lot of time on is what we call coaching networks, right? So this is the idea of bringing Um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, embedding it into business applications and delivering incredibly new types of value back to the customer using all the data that's collected on that platform. So, um, you know, really enriching business applications with these new technologies to deliver greater value than was possible previously.
0: Give me a real world example of of a coaching network. Is Is it a sales call in which the salesperson is being coached as, as to far what to say next, or is it something different?
3: I, I'm, well, I'm glad you brought that up. So a great example of this would be a, a company called Chorus, right, which was actually just acquired by Zoom Info. Uh, I think the deal was literally announced within the last week. Um, so Chorus builds exactly what you said. They build software for sales reps and for sales managers. And it basically helps those reps in real time when they're on the phone or they're on a Zoom with a customer, um, identify um, various things that they should be bringing up, right, to the customer in response to a customer's questions. Um, And so it's literally listening in in real time, usually using natural language processing, and then identifying sort of key attributes of what a customer is saying to help guide where a salesperson should take that conversation. It also adds value to managers. It allows managers to come in after a sales call and using some similar technology, identify areas where a manager might be able to coach a rep on how to do better in their next conversation with a customer or a prospect. But that's a really great example of, of a coaching network company, one of the very earliest ones that we invested in.
0: You speak about a sandbox. You know, you keep your investments limited to this sandbox. It's a big sandbox, but it's still a, it's still got walls, which means that emergence would never be investing in the next Google or the next Facebook or the next Apple uh, because that would be outside of your expertise. Do you feel it's that sandbox with those with those limitations that make the the, the firm such a good investor? I think so. I, I think you know, our a key part of our founding
3: thesis was this idea that focus matters, right? Uh, one of our values at the firm is we all focus to drive conviction. I think focus does help you, no matter what you focus on, Um, it helps you make better decisions. It helps you make better decisions more quickly. I think in our case, Focus also helps us help companies more effectively uh, because the air we breathe is 100% B2B. And this is all we do every single day. We've seen things and know things that can help entrepreneurs accelerate what they want to do much more quickly. Um, And so I have seen firsthand how Focus has helped us, I think, you know, make better investment decisions and help entrepreneurs in ways that I think few other firms can. So, um, it definitely works. I'll, I'll tell you, even going back to earlier in my career, you know, I spent, you know, i spent most of my career in software at this point. I spent a little bit of my career before I was at emergence at, um, at electronic arts, a gaming software company, uh, where I was doing acquisitions and investments. And then I spent some time at Microsoft doing acquisitions and investments. And I always felt when I was at EA, that you know, I knew the gaming business better than I ever knew any one business at Microsoft, right? And that was part of what got me excited about joining Emergence. I said, you know what, I've experienced this firsthand, right? I know what it's like to be focused and I know what it's like to feel like I'm spread kind of thin. And I think, you know, we're in this very unique position at Emergence where we have picked um, an area to focus on that is, as you point out, big. And that really matters, right? Where there's a tremendous amount of change and opportunity. So having the privilege of focusing on an area like that, knowing it better than almost anyone else, having an incredible ability to help entrepreneurs in this area, like few other investors can, I think it's a great strategy.
0: You were speaking about the AI listening in on the phone call, and it occurred to me at some point the AI would be powerful enough that it would only really be fair to inform the other person on the phone call that that someone else was listening in or recording it in that sense. Not yet, but at some point. So looking ahead to, to regulations and things coming out of Washington, I it's, a, it's striking to me how fast we went from uh, President Obama meeting with Mark Zuckerberg on a couple of stools to everybody's angry at tech. Uh, at least they're angry at big tech in Washington. Uh, what What sort of regulations or what sort of relationships with Washington might might threaten some of the things that you're trying to accomplish?
3: Well, I think it's an interesting question. I think um, you know a lot of the attention that Washington has been paying to tech has really been extremely focused on consumer uh, oriented companies, where you whether you think about social media or you think about e-commerce. Um, but that may not remain the case forever. Um, I think, you know, we have been, we've been fortunate to this point to not, not get embroiled or not see our companies really get embroiled, right. In any of those kinds of issues. Um, look, I, um, I, I tend to be, uh, of the opinion that, you know, um, I like free markets. <laughs> I, I like markets that are able to, to, to kind of develop on their own. And I think it's, uh, it's really wonderful, you know, when, when companies, uh, can, can kind of openly compete and not have to worry about, you know, whether regulators are going to step in and tell them what they can and cannot do. I also feel like we're entering this new era in tech where um, you know, some of the some of the giants out there in some ways, you know, may be stifling, you know, a little bit of competition and opportunity, right, for the kinds of companies we back uh, to ultimately build, you know, what they want to build. And so I'm not sure I know what the right answer is, right, at the end of the day from a regulatory perspective. Um, but you know, my my overall preference is to kind of let the let the free market kind of run, and uh, and and hopefully in that process, you know, we'll see the best companies thrive.
0: It certainly wouldn't take much of a leap for a Google or a Microsoft to realize, uh, for instance, the deskless workforce was a huge opportunity and try to move in on that. Do you? Are you still of the mind that it's going to be the young startup that's that's lean and and moving quickly that's going to be able to beat companies like that? Well, I think so. Uh, and I, I say this having
3: worked in some larger software companies prior to my time in the venture world, I think in most, not all, but in most new areas of opportunity, Um You know, it's really beneficial to be able to move quickly and nimbly and to have a team that is motivated to solve a singular problem better than anyone else. Uh, And I think we've seen this time and time again. So my belief is in a lot of the most interesting, cutting-edge, new areas of opportunity, frankly, whether it's within our purview, B2B at Emergence or outside, I think you're still going to see The young, hungry, scrappy teams be the ones who are going to figure out these newest areas of opportunity. Um, You know, larger companies have their place and I I will give credit to some of the companies you mentioned. I think over time they have found a way to keep more of an innovative edge than I maybe otherwise would have expected, you know, uh, at their scale. But there's still nothing like uh, a set of co-founders and a young team. Um, with, a, again, a singular and powerful vision when it comes to being able to build something
0: very new. That goes back to your idea of focus matters. You know, I was looking back over some of the other podcasts we've done, and I realized I'd actually talked to Emergence several times. That must be because of all those grand slams that I've been talking about. But when I had Jake 's uh, Saper on, I asked him to, to play a little guitar. And and Santi I uh, asked him where the best Argentinian food was. Uh, you are a Texan. So tell me what makes a good barbecue, first of all, and where do I find it in the Silicon Valley Bay Area?
3: <laughs> well, so what makes a good barbecue? Well, I will tell you as a Texan, I am, I am preferential, no surprise, to Texan-style barbecue. So uh, that means mostly beef barbecue and less pork barbecue. It is uh, tomato-based and slightly sweet with a little bit of spice sauces. None of this you know, mustard-based or vinegar-based sauce. Uh, that's my own uh, personal preference uh, for barbecue. Uh, my parents actually now live in North Carolina, Uh-oh. and I've been out to visit them a few times, and I've, I've developed a little bit more of of an appreciation, I would say, for uh, not the mustard pork. vinegar
0: sort of thing. Yeah, vinegar
3: mustard more pork. You know, it's definitely different, uh, but my preference is still for for Texan style barbecue. Um, there is actually, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up here. Um, There's a new there's a new barbecue place, which I have not uh, I have not been to uh, actually out in the East Bay called Horn Barbecue. And I've heard it's fantastic. It is Texas style barbecue. Uh, So I have yet to make it out that way, but um, but I'm I'm eager to give it a shot.
0: (laughs) And to our listeners in the uh, South Bay, I will recommend the Art of Barbecue. I think they. The abbreviated T-A-O-B, it's uh, it's in South San Jose, is also equally outstanding.
3: Fantastic. Well, that's a good one. I'm going to have to check that one out myself, Scott.
0: Kevin Spain, general partner at Emergence. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers, under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.